0: So, you know, Grant and I, we were talking about this podcast for several months. We were even workshopping names. I think Grant came up with the name Spill the Ill. Is Spill that correct? Spill the
1: Ill. I forgot who came up with that. Spill
0: that... the Ill. So I think this is episode one, season one of Spill the <laughs> Ill. Can I use your last name? Yes, you can. Is it my guest? Grant Mariah? Grant no, Maruya? you can't pronounce it. Like <laughs>
1: Grant Maruya. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's an inside joke already. Um, so I thought that this series, at least to start could be about interviewing interesting folk in my life, people who do interesting things, and I think you do some very interesting things, Grant. Um, Well, thank you, sir. Why don't you tell the people what you do to survive?
1: I am a professional poker player by trade. I uh, grind no limit holding cash games and tournaments, and I also dabble in a little bit of Pot Limit Omaha. That's actually my preferred game.
0: You were saying a lot of things that I don't understand already. But we will get into those. One thing I wanted to ask you, you know, because I think growing up here, especially in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, you know, in high school, people are always asking you, what are you going to do? Where are you going to college? What's your life goals? What do you want to do for the rest of your life at 18, right? Um, but when did you realize that like a typical nine to five lifestyle wasn't for you?
1: I mean, I've always hated the idea of having a boss and relenting to authority, Um when I graduated from UC Santa Cruz. I picked up a, a job as a public accountant for uh, the Cupertino Union School District. And I was in an office with eight or nine other middle-aged women, all with families, sitting in a cubicle, and I just had nothing in common with anybody, slaving away on a spreadsheet. And after eight months, I just couldn't do it anymore.
0: What well, Was there a moment? Was there a something where you're just like, this place sucks, I'm out?
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say the place sucked I mean the the office was nice and you know, the, the pay was decent there was good benefits but it just wasn't my environment to thrive in okay
0: okay and so you talked about going to UC Santa Cruz I know you majored in economics right yeah
1: business management economics
0: when did when did the poker part fit into that when did the professional poker part fit into that
1: Well, I've always been a big fan of the game of poker. Growing up, I would watch the World Series of Poker main event on ESPN with my dad. We would sweat the final tables together and get a lot of laughs out of the big name characters like Phil Hellmuth and Mike Manisau. He would always howl out laughing whenever they would needle each other with some outrageous (laughs) remark. (laughs) So I had a lot of fun with that, and we would play little home games growing up with quarters and homemade chipset.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's kind of been something that you grew up with.
1: Yeah, I've Santa. always I've always enjoyed playing poker. I guess the professional part didn't really cross my mind until I, you know, did some studying and realized, hey, there's potential to this. I can actually make money in the long term if I work hard at it.
0: So, outside of the believing you could do it, believing in yourself, how did you start? How did you first get into it as a profession? So, after
1: watching? when I went to UC Santa Cruz. I was walking downtown, and I noticed that there was a little card room called Ocean View. They had three tables, and um, I didn't have any experience with cash games, but they had a tournament three days a week, and I uh, gave it a go one random Sunday. Busted out pretty quickly. Didn't didn't have any results to, to speak of, but I uh, went back maybe a second time, busted again, and then the third time I made the final table, and I think I got third for 400 bucks maybe and all right. so all of a sudden there was this tangible result like i just turned you know 60 bucks into 400 and big deal it seemed like i knew more than most of the other players in terms of general strategy and you know having profitable mechanics to how i play compared to them i, I was i was thinking more about how to make money than they were
0: so you feel that it was, you were coming at it from a different angle, maybe, not just to have fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a place like that, in Oceanview, it's a lot of retired, middle-aged white men. And, you know, they're there to have fun and gamble. And they don't really care so much about studying or game theory or making the best decision possible. You know, it's more of just a recreation, rec- recreational thing for them.
0: Well, I'm glad you, you said you put it like that, because I remember when you were telling me you had this idea of being a professional professional poker player, I remember thinking and saying, oh, so like you're going to start gambling. <laughs> and I feel like you, you've been good about early on making the distinction of it's different from gambling.
1: Right, and there's a lot of misconceptions with poker because it is a gambling game. You are essentially gambling. It's just your decisions are against other players. And if other players are making enough mistakes, you can capitalize on those and exploit them to a degree where you just automatically profit
0: so then how do you how do you prepare how do you it sounds like there's a lot of discipline involved in this game how do you prepare
1: well sometimes i don't prepare enough but um i like to go to the gym i like to keep a very healthy mind i try to keep my diet in check you know um meditation is also very helpful keeping your focus on its best possible level um And then just studying the game, there are tools where there are websites called training sites where you can subscribe and get information from better players than you who have compiled, you know, databases and knowledge of what they've seen in the poker industry and how to, you know, overcome adversity. And then you can learn from that. There's also Solvers, which is a computer simulation that runs millions of situations in a poker game, computer versus computer. And then spits out the output that makes the most expected value. EV EV is a very common term in poker. That's we're trying to achieve. Lots of EV.
0: Okay, so I we need we need to break down a lot of those terms, because but, but, there's a lot of things I don't know. But so outside of playing, not even playing, because I know playing takes you a lot of time. How many hours a week do you think you're putting in training, prepping, that kind of thing?
1: I'm um, at the gym. I'm probably in there four to five hours a week. Uh, studying recently not so much just because i've been playing a lot of volume but uh in an ideal world i would like to be studying at least 10 hours a week and in past months prior i put in closer to 10 20 hours of, of studying my courses and even doing a little bit of solver work
0: okay so then how how many hours a week are you play
1: that is variable also Recently, I've been playing a lot of tournaments, MTTs, multi-table tournaments, and in in the live environment. So depending on the accessibility you have to playing volume, if you play in San Jose, there's not a lot of tournaments local. There's one at Bay 101 right now that runs in the mornings from Sunday through Thursday. Thursday. And if you bust out of that tournament in the first hour or two, there's no reentries for that day. You're just done for the day. You you cannot put in any, any further volume for that that morning tournament um so it depends on how i'm doing if i'm doing well and making deep runs to where i'm you know looking at the final table and expecting to get a big cash then it can take five to six hours per per tournament but if i'm running bad or getting unlucky as they say um it can severely limit my volume to one hour even less sometimes
0: so it's super variable Yeah. Super variable.
1: And then the solution to that is you can also supplement with cash games where you can just take as much money as the buy-in allows for, or you can play online where there's just essentially unlimited volume. But in the United States, online poker is a very gray area industry. (laughs) It's unregulated. And unless you live in the state of Nevada, New New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, or I want to say Delaware, I think there's five total states, maybe six. Those are the ones that have official legislation and, you know, regulators that control the RNGs and keep everything standardized so that the players can trust um, the system.
0: Okay. Okay. So there's, uh, are there more, are there more barriers being a player in California?
1: Yeah. I mean, for live play, there aren't as many barriers. For online play, definitely a lot of barriers.
0: Okay. Okay. So then you're it sounds like you're hustling. It sounds like you're playing every day if you can.
1: I would say I play five to six days a week per av- on average, okay, yeah,
0: I think I think it's important for people to hear that just because you don't have a boss, you don't have the nine to five, there's still a lot of prep. It sounds like there's still a lot of work and hours, you know, definitely. do you give yourself a weekend how do you How do you relax from all this structure?
1: Well, when you come off a big win, that's when it's easiest to take a little. <laughs> short break um what's you your know. biggest win my biggest
0: that you feel tournament score
1: about. online is twenty two thousand my biggest live tournament score is fifteen thousand six hundred I believe
0: so online was higher
1: online was higher that that field I think I got second out of over two thousand players that is impressive my friend that was impressive but it also very fortunate you have to you have to get pretty lucky in those big fields to you know overcome such a mass amount of players you have to play well obviously but there's a factor of luck in the short term that you you need in tournaments to win
0: it's kind of sounds a little metaphorical a little bit of luck to help you win Daddy needs a new pair of shoes, kind of thing. So then, that sounds like a a super good day, right? Maybe best days you've had in the right. playing when poker. When
1: you win twenty two thousand dollars in one day, you can take <laughs> take a couple weeks off. You buy a that dinner that eases the night. pressure. That takes the weight <laughs> off the shoulders for sure.
0: So then, what's a bad day like?
1: Um. So when I play cash games, the 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 buy in at Bay One Hundred One and Matrix, the max is eight hundred dollars. And so, if I play cash, I limit myself to three and a half buy ins per day. If I lose. <laughs> $2,800, then I'm done. That's it for the day. Okay. In tournaments, it's limited to the buy-in. Um, so if I'm taking a shot... At a what good, does that mean? That means playing a tournament at, with a higher buy-in level than you're used to or maybe should be playing. Taking a shot. Shot-taking. Taking a shot. Yeah.
0: Do you take a lot of shots?
1: I try not to because in, in terms of bankroll management, you should only be playing a tournament which you've, you're rolled for at least 100 buy-ins of the tournament. That's sort of the guideline. But but if the buy-in is, you know, 5,000, then I can't just be shelling those out. That's a lot of buy-ins. That's a lot of unnecessary variants. That I don't can, know if I would take that shot. Right. I'm only taking that shot twice, I think. So well, that shot twice and then the 10K main event one time.
0: So how do you keep yourself from spiraling, from taking all those shots? Because it sounds like it could be easy if you believe in yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of gamblers don't understand... The art of bankroll management, but it's just knowing that if I take the shot and I'm, I'm not ready or the, the decision is rash, then the, the professional poker is not going to last very long. You know, you, you can go broke pretty quickly if you don't exercise responsibility with the money that you're putting in and the money that you're trying to make from the game.
0: So it sounds like uh, respect for the consequences, respect of your own limitations. Definitely. Know when to hold them.
1: No limit hold them.
0: Know when to fold them. <laughs> I forget who sings it.
1: That's uh, Kenny. Is that Kenny, Kenny Rogers? Rogers? Yeah. R.I.P.
0: Um, so okay. then when did you, like when you were playing, was it at the Santa Cruz? I forget the name that you used. the Santa Cruz uh, club. Where you knew that you could actually like, make this a real thing?
1: Yeah, Ocean View Card Room. Ocean View Card Room. Excuse me.
0: You should go back and clean them out.
1: So, the problem with Ocean View <laughs> is uh, their tournaments are pretty small, like the buy ins. They have one once a month um, on all three tournaments where they increase the buy in and that can be worth playing. But Ocean View, their cash games, there's a limit to how much you bet per street. It's not a no limit. In, what's in the street? Street. So, there's pre flop. That's what the. Beginning with the two cards that you start with, then there's the flop. That's where the three community cards come out, right. turn and river. So there are four total streets of poker. It usually, four doesn't get, total streets. it usually doesn't get to the third or fourth in terms of you know, players don't have something to continue with. They just have to fold. Okay. Okay. I think only ten percent or less than ten percent of hands see the river.
0: So it's like a like a phase. Streets like a phase. Right. Okay. But
1: at ocean view, you're limited. It's not no limit. You can only bet one hundred Dollars per street, which can be Uh, raised, but you can't leverage your stack in a way that utilizes effective strategy in in other games. Where it's
0: so for you, it's not worth it because you're you're trying to play higher stakes at this point.
1: Yeah, in Santa Cruz, it was more worth it because I was living there, and you know it was like a bike ride down the street. But now it's forty five minute drive, assuming there's no traffic, and okay, the limits just aren't worth it.
0: So then. When it, when it came to getting better, you had a lot of websites that you mentioned. You had a lot of resources. Did you have any mentors, any people that you met who kind of took you under the wing?
1: Took me under the wing? I feel like I've played the mentor more than I've been a student for other people. Lone Wolf in it. Kind of. That's pretty it's strange. just there's so many resources. Like, you don't really need a mentor if you're willing to, you know, look around and take what's out there and make the most of it. But well
0: then uh let me ask you this. Do you got like a poker Michael Jordan?
1: Poker Michael Jordan and a poker Kobe Bryant. I mean he probably doesn't know it, but there's this guy. He is a PhD student at UC Santa Cruz. His name was or his name is Andrew Barber. I still see him occasionally. Add him on LinkedIn. Um and he uh he has a PhD in economics and he is was a professional poker player by trade for a long time. He um he won the 10K. WSOP World Series of, poker Series of Poker horse tournament in 2015 for over five hundred thousand dollars and that sort of um it's a big deal elevated him in the community you know that's that's a pretty prestigious event to win so he's sort of a local semi legend you know some okay. people some people don't put respect on that kind of thing but I certainly do and I I see that his strategy is more effective than ninety nine percent of players.
0: So have you have you run into him since your journey or have you spoken to him? Have you guys crossed paths
1: when I played with him at View, because that was his local casino while he was studying for his PhD um, I would pick his brain about certain hands and or, or other facets of economics or gambling. He's He, he bet $20,000 on Hillary Clinton in the 2016 2016 is that when she lost I think it was two thousand sixteen. Okay. Yeah. What a year? <laughs> So uh, he's certainly got some experience with putting your money on the line and showing you, showing people what you've got.
0: Dude, fun little side note with that. My father, who Grant knows, um, and my brother had a bet where my brother essentially bet my dad his, uh, my dad was a wrestling coach, his wrestling coach stipend. He bet him three k. Well, actually, my dad was foolish enough to bet that uh, <laughs> Donald Trump would lose, that Hillary Clinton would win. So and your
1: dad was on Hillary's side. He
0: was on Hillary. He was so confident. And then uh, that was probably my brother's favorite election because he won three thousand dollars <laughs> off of Donald me. Trump. I mean,
1: anytime you can make three thousand dollars <laughs> from just watching some poll numbers, oh, stew Around
0: that's a whole nother, that's a whole other topic. We won't get into that. But uh, okay, so you have had some mentors. It sounds like at least one guy helped inspire you. Yeah. Maybe you'll run into him on the on the Wasop tour. Do you ever call it that? The Wasop.
1: <laughs> there, there are some people that call it Wasop, but that's, that's <laughs> not, not standard protocol. Oh, man, that's hilarious.
0: Okay. So then between online and live poker, what have been the differences? What have you noticed? What do you prefer?
1: So live poker, there's a, a, there's access to a ton more information. You get to see the player's face. You get to read their body language, you know. There's all kinds of distractions and waitresses and other factors. that.
0: Wait, what are the waitresses
1: doing? I mean, if a player's in the middle of a hand and all of a sudden his favorite waitress walks over and he gets all saucer-eyed, you can pick up some things.
0: What does saucer-eyed mean?
1: Just like yearning, you know, thirsty. Mm -hmm. Thirsty Mm -hmm. men at the poker table. Distracted. That's a very common theme. Not keeping your eye on the prize. Lots of thirsty men looking at what they can't have.
0: So, like, what's what's some typical body language that you've noticed? Like, how are you reading people out there?
1: Um, there's a very what are you famous... are looking for? Yeah. There's a very famous poker book by Mike Caro named The Poker Book of Tells. And essentially, it says strong means weak and weak means strong. So, I'll
0: explain, my friend.
1: So, the psychology of it is that if you act strong, in theory, your brain is subconsciously telling you to do that so that player gets the um result you want you want them to fold so you act like you have something strong if -hmm. you act weak you're acting like you have nothing that's when you want a, a big call because you're essentially conveying to the player the opposite of what you want them to think um and uh a big stereotype is old men When when old men have it, they always give some speech and act like they act like the bus is ready to go. Oh, it's time to go home and just shove all their money in.
0: Like the evil supervillain explaining their plan right before they. Okay, What about like the the old ladies? I don't know. We've talked about the old ladies before.
1: So, I mean, with old people in general, there's the level of dementia or, you know, uh lucidity that you have to <laughs> account for because some people some old men are just don't care about money at all and like Sure, sure. And some are using their retirement fund and they got to play it a little bit safer. So you got to read them for what they're trying to do with uh their hand.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tell a short story. You you were nice enough to uh stake me. I think it was like 200 bucks at Bay 101 to just oh, that try I was at Matrix. I was at Matrix, okay, to learn and play. And I remember I had uh, what was it? Pair jacks. What's it? What's it called when you start off with a pair? Pocket Pocket, jacks. It's a pocket pair. Pocket jacks. Pocket jacks. Yeah. I was feeling high on those, (laughs) and I just kept kept calling, kept betting, and I should have known that because the old man in front of me who kept going in, he he was dressed modestly. Right, but I didn't notice the Maserati ball cap that he had.
1: Maserati ball cap. <laughs> See, that's that's an example of acting acting weak when you are actually strong. Oh man! So wait,
0: so I was acting weak or he was acting weak?
1: Well, the Maserati cap. There, there's also another stereotype that like a lot of young Asian guys <laughs> who are loose and splashy and generally give it away. They wear like designer clothes with a Gucci. Uh, fanny pack and gucci flip just decked out in super expensive clothes and okay it's almost like their image tells you how to play against them
0: interesting i wonder if they're aware of that
1: i think some of them are i have a friend named howard who he uh he wears he likes to peacock he wears like a fake gucci hat to get the, <laughs> get the image he wants <laughs> that's funny
0: so then how do you i imagine then someone like you very deliberate man how are you dressing and what are you what are you trying to convey
1: I just try to wear what's comfortable. I mean, I probably look more like a professional than the average person does in there because I'm not dressed nicely or formally to impress people at the poker table, you know, having a fun day off after work. Mm -hmm. I'm just there to get business done.
0: If you ever like intentionally not shower, like what kind of mind games are you playing with your outfit?
1: Oh, dude, I like being clean. (laughs) I'm not not next level like that. I'm just (laughs) trying to play good poker.
0: What about you wearing? Are you wearing any kind of glasses or hat? What are you doing?
1: I always wear a hat.
0: Always oh, with the hat, okay.
1: Actually, for the first time in probably two or three years, I didn't wear a hat the other day because I forgot it in my car. What happened? I bagged a huge stack. It was crazy. I, I it's bagged. a good thing, right? Yeah. Ba- <laughs> <laughs> I started with 15,000 chips. I went to L.A. to play the L.A. poker classic, I think it's called, at the bicycle casino. Okay. And I turned the 15,000 in chips into two hundred or 333,000 for the day two.
0: So maybe without my hat, no hat. Grant is the move.
1: Maybe, but it's just—it's like it's my comfort uh, zone. I, I,
0: maybe a fez.
1: It'll take a little bit of separation and therapy to get to that level.
0: Therapy, okay. Maybe uh it'd probably be hard to find a poker special, like a therapist who specializes in poker. <laughs> it's a stressful life. So then, it sounds like the live poker is where it's at.
1: Yeah, live poker is where all the worst players are. Like the
0: it, the fish, right? The fish. The fish. Yes.
1: There's a sea of fish in live poker, especially, <laughs> especially in the Bay Area, because there's so much <clears throat> venture capital and software developer money, and people just give it away. They don't care.
0: Dude, we need to get you in like a CEO kind of backdoor, kind of at home poker game.
1: A private game.
0: Like some big fish.
1: I need a bigger bankroll for those games because probably. they play real big. One thing to know, I just want to remind you that when you had the pocket jacks, there was an ace on the board.
0: There was a, and what does that mean for the folks?
1: That means once the money starts going in, there's probably an ace in the other guy's hand or better. Okay. And a pocket yeah. jacks cannot beat one ace. I there's had tunnel
0: vision, man. <laughs> I had tunnel vision, but it was a good lesson to learn. It was a good lesson to learn.
1: Don't worry. I've lost plenty of money with pocket jacks. That's a dangerous hand.
0: I mean, since we're on the topic, what what hands do you avoid? What hands are instant? What hands are instant flop?
1: Uh, instant flop is a little tricky to say because there's a flop in the game of poker. You're, you're seeing a flop. instant fold. There <laughs> instant fold. <laughs> that makes more sense. So you instant generally want to avoid small cards. They suffer from what's called reverse implied odds. I don't want to give away too much strategy here because people are gonna. That is you know, great.
0: Do it. Yeah. Do what you need to pick do.
1: Pick up on what you need to do to win. But um, small need a, cards, you know, need to pay, yeah. if you flop a bottom pair, then all the other pairs that do flop a pair are going to be beating you right off the bat. You're going to be an 80 20 dog, 75 25 dog most of the time. So your 4 3 offsuits, your 7, four, seven offsuit. deuce offsuit, yeah. that's technically the worst hand in a full ring game of poker.
0: I'm folding on jacks almost every time. Pocket jacks. I don't like pocket jacks now.
1: You you cannot like them, but you definitely shouldn't fold them.
0: Wise wise uh, advice from the. From that's the, the
1: fourth strongest hand in in Texas Hold'em.
0: Okay, okay. You're that's right. It's a lot of probabilities. It's a lot of math. Yeah, you're and a big so, math guy.
1: And so small cards and then disconnected cards too. Like you don't want the cards to be far away from each other because that eliminates your chances of flopping straights or straight draws. Okay. Which is just additional equity that you know can be realized in any given hand.
0: All right. Well, if you're playing at home with the with the family, 7-2 and 4-3 offsuit, avoid those.
1: But suited. Suited's a whole different story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was thinking about it. Let's not get too in the weeds because I'm getting confused. Right. Yeah. It's a little dry, but it's interesting. I think it's interesting.
1: We'll leave the strategy there.
0: We'll, we'll leave it there. Otherwise, pay the man for coaching. <laughs> um, so... What's been your experience with tournaments? You mentioned there's this LA tournament you just went to. What was that like?
1: So, yeah, the, the LA PC is a yearly event, annual event, where um, they have a weird format where if you don't bag a stack on the first day, that means you're playing for a day one to enter into day two with the amount of chips you accumulated from day one to compete for bigger prizes. But they have a condition where you can buy into day two with a pretty decent stack for I think 20 t- or no 10 a little over 10 times the buy-in so all the whales the the rich fish with deep pockets can come into day two with a decent stack and you know give it a shot without having to log the extra volume on day one
0: so you, you put in a specific amount and you have to make a certain amount to advance to the second day
1: you don't have to make a certain amount you just have to outlast the field. I think just over 5% of each day, each flight, they call it. Okay. Each group of players who come together on day one.
0: And how many days is the tournament?
1: I believe it went four days. I'm not totally sure on that. It's either four or five. And,
0: and, And how far did you go?
1: I only made it to day two. I got pretty unlucky the second day, and there was a super juicy table, a table full of bad players, and I was licking my lips. But then... The one guy at our table who bought in with the $3,500, he was like a super pro. His name is Art Papazian. He's, Art Papazian. He's been on televised poker games, and he actually set a record for winning. The only player to win two WPTs in a row, World Poker Tour titles, back in 2017. Okay.
0: So, so you so, lost to uh, some good competition.
1: Yeah, he took most of my chips. Okay. Okay. Generally, you want to stay out of the way of professional players. You know, You're not trying to <laughs> make money off of them. You're trying to... Weave in between them and pick off the fish,
0: but it's kind of just like uh, like you were saying. That's what the luck plays in. It's just who's assigned to your table,
1: right? I got into a situation where I had ace king and he had pocket kings, and that's just a hand. We're based on our stack sizes. We just had to go with it, and he had the better hand, and I lost
0: do you, a lot of my chips. Do you network with these guys?
1: Um, it's a balance between networking and just being friendly, and you know, making friends. I've made a lot of friends at the poker table. I've been a lot of cool people. Okay. Generally, I, I'm more uh, compatible with the younger male players.
0: Makes sense. So, so for me, right, one of the normies working nine to five, I try not to make friends with the people I work with. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that. I don't. I don't like blending that boundary. So, what's your style?
1: So there's a funny saying called there's no friends at the poker table because sure. you can act friendly I all you it. want, but at the end of the day, you're still trying to take someone else's money. So the second you win a big pot off someone, all those, you know, facades that you had up can come crashing down. And <laughs> There's a lot of ego that comes into play and it really reveals people's true nature and personality when they lose a big pot to someone that, that five minutes prior, they were having a, having a drink with you a fun banter with yeah
0: so it's hard to it's hard to know it sounds like hard hard to to trust people hard to necessarily let your guard down oh yeah don't
1: trust don't trust a poker player especially with loaning money don't trust (laughs) there's countless (laughs) horror stories of someone loaning out money to some persuasive degenerate and the the sums can be high and they'll never see that money again
0: (laughs) so it sounds like you're going to a lot of tournaments how many tournaments, now that you're, I guess, fully fully professional now, how many tournaments are you trying to go to a year now? Or a month, whatever's easiest for you to answer.
1: I, I don't have a specific number per year, um, but it's all about finding the value. You know, there's there's guarantees that the the operators provide where the prize pool is set. They're, they're, the prize pool will at least be that amount. So any, any event where the prize pool... Is worth the investment in terms of travel and who you think is gonna be playing and That's right. Yeah, travel. You know, the structure too, how many chips do you start with? How many how long are the levels? That 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 kind of stuff allows you to see more hands and get more opportunities to accumulate chips where if the structure is fast and you don't start with very many chips, the variance will take over and luck becomes more relevant okay. than skill.
0: Well then maybe a, a better way to ask this then is what are your favorite tournaments you got the this la one you mentioned
1: la one was fun but the the structure wasn't that good it was kind of turbo-y kind of fast starting stack wasn't very big Uh, a lot of professional poker players believe that the, the WSOP main event is the ultimate tournament it's a structure where you start with 300 big blinds a 60k starting stack and the hours are two levels long and so the event ends up running eight or nine playing days because there's just so many opportunities and so many chances to be patient and you know actually find that skill edge instead of forcing it because the clock is running thin.
0: So what what's how do you manage to to pony up to get in that event?
1: That would be ten thousand dollars. All right.
0: Well, no, for a guy like you, sounds like a good investment.
1: Yeah, it's a high value tournament for any any halfway decent poker player because. It's a chance for any player in the world to become a world champion as long as they show up with ten thousand dollars and you know, world champion. take the take the ch- the chair. And this year they broke the the record for first place. First place was twelve million one hundred and sixty thousand, I think, off a ten k investment, but you, before that, taxes. Before taxes, taxes right. taxes can be country re- relevant too because okay, a lot of European countries they don't take your gambling winnings
0: socialism
1: yeah dude but america cool. you get reamed <laughs> so <laughs> since we're
0: talking about numbers and, and stakes what stakes did you start off playing versus what kind of stakes are you comfortable playing now
1: well i guess you could say i started off with fake play money when i was Eight years old, playing with my family. My dad would always, whatever someone ended up winning, chill out like ten dollars to you know make it interesting, make it fun.
0: Back then, you could get a whole happy meal, maybe two. That's
1: right, big time money when you're <laughs> in elementary school. <laughs> um, but then, when I started practicing and taking it a little bit more seriously online, I would play micro stakes, so two cent, five cent, five cent, ten cent blinds, or you know one dollar tournaments, and then. Once you get to the live arena, there's, there's, uh, I guess, a minimum of probably one hundred dollars. Where, if you deal with less than one hundred dollars, it's not even worth playing.
0: Right, because you want to, you want a stack that's big enough. Otherwise, people would just bully you, right?
1: Right, and they just don't run limits lower than that. The casino, by the time the casino takes some of the pot, half of it's gone. Right,
0: right. So then what stakes do you, would you say is that you're routinely comfortable playing with? Like if you're playing the Matrix or Bay 101?
1: So I primarily play two, three, five. So there's a $5 big blind, $3 small blind, and then they put two on the button. That's part of the San Jose City the tax. The tax,
0: right? Right. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah, that's my sweet spot, my bread and butter.
0: So then do you ever think about, because I know San Jose, Bay Area, it's not like a, it's not a card haven. Do you ever think about moving somewhere? Where you could play with different rules, different stakes
1: uh rules are pretty universal, and you can't really go somewhere else and find rules that really change how you play but um i I considered moving to Austin, Texas. They have a card room called The Lodge there where they have a ton of ton of tables, ton of recreational players, and the limits are really big. The games in Texas they play bigger, like a a two three five game in California. In Texas, it plays more like a five ten, maybe even ten twenty, because they just they're using more money. They have less caps on the buy-in. Okay, the players just bring more. Okay. They they just like the bigger game.
0: So then, uh, I imagine the taxes are different too, right? Would you have to pay less taxes if you move states?
1: Well, for state income tax, I mean, Las Vegas. If you live in Nevada, there's no state income tax, so that's a big plus. But the the downside is Vegas has a ton of professional players. You know, a lot of people move there less strictly fish. to play less fish. Okay. In Vegas, in Vegas, the fish come out during conventions or, you know, a special, like the F1, the F1 race yeah, coming up. F1 that's going to have a ton weekend. of, yeah. ton of splashy loose pocket players. you going to go? I don't think so. The hotels are, they're insane. They're,
0: they're crazy right now. Yeah. One of our friends tried to buy tickets to F1. It's, it's not worth it. It sounds for him. <laughs> um, so then, it sounds like now, you know, you said your max buying was twenty eight hundred or the max you'll you'll put up in a so night. So it's
1: three and a half increments of eight hundred and twenty eight hundred total.
0: Okay. So then it sounds like you're dealing for a lot of people at least, you're dealing with a lot of money, right? Money that I myself I'm not skilled enough to play with, would feel very uncomfortable losing. How are you staying calm in these moments?
1: Well, you, you have to make sure to take your time in the, the key decisions. You know, there's there's small pots. Most pots are small where you put your money in pre-flop and then you see a flop and you take a stab and a lot of times they fold and that's when it's over. But once you've gotten to the turn and there's 400, 500 in the pot and you have to make a decision, you know, is this guy ever going to fold? Am I ever going to get him to fold a better hand or should I just give up or if you have it if you have a premier hand and you're looking to get value from the player like what what's the key sizing that this guy just can't resist seeing what i have this time you know there's a lot of factors of who you're playing against what they're thinking about how you play and then taking advantage of that and making the optimal decision
0: so then are you you personally are you a little more like gun shy Or you you feel like you're a little more overconfident with Uh, what you
1: got? I don't know about overconfident, but I am certainly more aggressive than the vast majority of the field. I I pull the trigger where other people almost never will.
0: Okay. And it sounds like it works out for you. Well,
1: (laughs) (laughs) you learn your lesson sometimes. Some people pick up on that. You know, they trap you. They realize that you're capable of making those moves. So they set the trap. Mm. They check. Giving you the opportunity to bluff a large Mm. amount, knowing that they're going to snap call, snap it off, instantly.
0: Reveal the trap
1: card. Instantly pay the wager.
0: Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. So it sounds like it's very person-based. Less so you, more so what what the person is bringing to the table.
1: Right. And it's also about being balanced. You know, your bluffs versus your value, they have to... Work together so that players become indifferent. They they don't know whether they should call or fold against you That's how you achieve a strategy that keeps people on their toes, you know, it, it makes them uncomfortable and You you have to get paid sometimes when you have it and you have to get fold sometimes when you don't and vice versa
0: So is it hard for you to keep track of that? Like how, how many times you've bluffed how many times someone else is you think someone else is bluff like you run in numbers on all this throughout the hours
1: I mean, our brains aren't calculators. We have to <laughs> estimate stuff and, you know, sort of guesstimate and take chances where we think are, are best. There are a lot of sizing tells, like players that bet small, out of position. Usually they're pretty weak. Like when players bet really big on the river or on the turn, usually they're screaming that they have something right, good right, and right. they should just get out of their way. But when I bet really big <laughs> sometimes – I'm a little bit more balanced. I, I will do that with you know pure air or nothing in my hand. Okay. Because okay. if you never do it with nothing, then they they can just exploit you and fold all their hands that can't continue, knowing that you're never bluffing there.
0: So you, you got to be an observant person,
1: right? So you got to be vigilant and aware of the table dynamics and who's getting out of line, who's never, who's never bluffing the river.
0: So are there any like local legends? That you're watching out for when you're playing in San Jose. Anyone
1: you could shout out? Local legends.
0: So when uh, you're like, oh, I don't want to play this guy right now.
1: The thing is, with my stakes, like, it's it's so it's such a small, tight knit community, and the stakes aren't so big that there's a lot of public uh, attention. But there are a few players at Matrix that I could say, you know, stay out of that guy's way. You're not gonna take very much off of him. Super cool. Very cool. At the Bay 101, since I'm running the leaderboard, I'm kind of a local famous guy right now.
0: Who's number two? Who's coming for you?
1: It was Mario Moreno, but uh, the old veteran Sal Fami. Sal. He, he just took over with his 20th cash for second place, which is a funny coincidence because his nephew, who also plays poker mm-hmm. at Bay 101 and Casino Matrix, I used to work with him at Harker. He was a te- ah. He was a teacher for fourth or fifth grade, I think. And now he's the principal. He got promoted.
0: So he's the principal and he's playing cards.
1: Well, he gets the whole summer off.
0: That's pretty sweet. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty cool lifestyle.
1: He likes to joke to the other tables that uh, I was babysitting <laughs> his kid. I don't know how I feel about that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Slanderous. <laughs> so then do you get any kind of perks for being top at the leaderboard?
1: Yeah. So they run a free roll tournament. Um, basically, once every three or four months, they host a tournament with the top 101 players on the leaderboard and they take $5 off of every buy-in for the the tournament that they've been running until then to, to generate a prize pool where the players that have been playing a lot and getting lots of cashes can capitalize on that. And so right now it's looking like just under 50,000. There's another month or so until they run it October 10th, October 10th or October 8th. And then they'll disperse the prize pool into that. Tournament, the free roll, Dude. and I'll start with way more chips than all the other players.
0: Leading the Silicon Valley, that's pretty sweet.
1: Yeah, what can I say? Kind of, kind of a beast
0: <laughs> from humble beginnings, my friend. Yeah, you've always been one of those people who's just been able to dive into a topic full blown.
1: Yeah, and really, when, I, when I'm interested, I dive in for sure, almost to a, an unhealthy obsession.
0: I mean that's the. I mean that always sounds like what like the greats do. I, you know, I mentioned Kobe, I mentioned Michael Jordan. They kind of have the same thing, right. just for basketball.
1: I wish I was six six and freakishly athletic like them, <laughs> and then I could probably be running the court right now.
0: You're just a, you're just got a, a six six brain. That's all. <laughs> so then, all right, I I have another question for you because you kind of talked about facing some industry pros. What about? Are there any people who are constantly in competition with you, maybe some like rivals, some, some budding ne- rivalries, some nemeses
1: There, there are people who, I guess, you just lose so many hands against them that it almost feels like, like you can't beat them. Or, in rare cases, like you're being cheated. There's a guy mm. at Matrix named Brett who. Brett, there's. There's been just one too many times where I I just have a, such a strong <laughs> hand and like you're just supposed to put all the money in knowing like you're gonna be good so often and then he just has like the ultimate nuts hand <laughs> and the pot's so huge and we were so deep and it just crushes your soul because it's always him it, it can't just be another player once ever, in a while
0: you ever feel like he's counting
1: no there's no such thing as counting cards and hold them it's a myth that, that's blackjack. Oh, it has no effect on.
0: Okay. That's right. Cause they're switching the outcome they're, and they're shuffling it up. They're right. switching it up. Each player has equal information. Okay. Okay. So then, you know, when you're losing to someone like Brett, when you're losing, when you lose at all, or when you win, how are you keeping mindful of your reactions? Cause I imagine you just want to like, you want to jump up, you want to fist bump, you want to react.
1: I'm very stoic. I'm, I'm, Practice Naturally, stoicism at the poker table for sure. I okay. I don't like to react with strong emotion or you know snap at another player. You know when you first start playing, it's almost like you can't help it. Like oh, I got so unlucky. God damn, that guy's such a douchebag. But <laughs> he cheated. <laughs> once you understand that that's not going to help your game, and that you need to erase <laughs> it to you know get to the next level, you just become disciplined and store your emotions in a place where they aren't going to affect how you play they aren't gonna give people the impression that you're on tilt that you're ready to you know make a horrible decision and they're gonna get all your chips if you Mm, if you mm. give them that then they'll take it for sure
0: so it sounds like being in control of your emotions gives them less information makes you a better poker player
1: less information makes you less of a target
0: less of a target People probably want to play with you more. Right. The casinos probably want you back.
1: In cash games, that's a big thing. Like if you see the the steaming guy that has been pulling out his wallet every ten minutes, then people start to ask the floorman, Hey, can I go over to that table? That table looks pretty good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, have you seen anything on borderline violence? Like what's what's the what's the craziest thing you've seen at the tables?
1: I think three or four months ago, um, there was a little fight in front of the podium. I don't know what they were arguing about, but this, this guy was getting into the other guy's face. They weren't even playing. They were both waiting for a seat. And he starts puffing his chest out and getting into his business, and then he got socked in the face. And then he did the whole, the guy who got punched does the whole hold me back thing, hold <laughs> me back. <laughs> but he was never going to throw a punch. He was just all talk, all bark, no bite. Oh, man, that sounds like a way to get banned. Oh, yeah, they both got banned. I think one of them got banned for life, the other got banned for 6 months.
0: That's a shame. That's a shame. But but not you. You're you're calm. I cool, would ne-
1: I would never. There's just it's not worth it. I like <laughs> It's a card game. Are you really that egotistical that you need to introduce violence because you whatever lost a hand?
0: Has anyone ever threatened you for taking their rent money?
1: Threaten me? I mean, not threatened in a violent way. There's There's a lot of offhand comments when you beat someone in a big hand. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you did something wrong, even though you won. Yeah. Especially when you get lucky.
0: Especially when you're younger. Right. This young
1: punk coming (laughs) in here thinking he owns the place. Thinks he knows. (laughs) Got more hair than me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then would you say in with all the people you've met, all the people you've seen, are there any stereotypes about poker players and are any of them true?
1: Oh, there's plenty of stereotypes, man. I mean, we won't get into the racial. I don't want to get your no, podcast canceled no, before no. Uh, before it even begins. <laughs> but old men are seen as tight. Old ladies are seen as tight. That just means they they you know play a very narrow array of of hands. Um, younger players generally generally play more aggressive. Middle aged men passive and very easy to read. Um, what are some other demographics? Give me...
0: I mean, like young women, women our age, are they playing?
1: Yeah, so women have the perception of being passive for sure, like the most passive type of player because (laughs) in a a sense, society tells women to be passive. You know, it's Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. ingrained in their brains sometimes. But that also gives them an innate innate, innate advantage because if people are underestimating them and assuming, you know, this lady isn't going to bet unless she has something, then they can really take advantage of that and show people what's up. Okay. It's, they also have, are better at reading body language. You know, their brains are more mm. adept at sensing who's weak and who's feeling what. So they can really pick up on things and make big calls that other players wouldn't be able to.
0: Yeah. I would feel like it's uh, an opponent to kind of pause with, you know, cause right. it's especially since it's not as common. Yeah. Respect in a different way. It's but definitely respects. harder to bluff women interesting what what do you mean by that
1: i mean they can just sense when you Mm. want something or feel something right i can sense when you're bullshit that emotional the keenness
0: yeah okay i can yeah i see what you mean too about the the body language the facial the facial reading okay what about like hygiene is there a stereotype about hygiene,
1: dude? <laughs> there's a big stereotype about Europeans not wearing deodorant <laughs> or showering. <laughs> and okay, it's pretty true. It's pretty true. There's a funny. lot of there's a lot of weird smells when there's Europeans at the World Series of Poker.
0: But a lot of colognes, man. And a lot of different scents. Not
1: too much cologne. Okay. I smelled some some weird smells, but cologne's not really a okay. common thing. Because 95% of the poker table is men. They're not trying to impress other men, you know. Mm. I didn't think about that.
0: So then, you know, outside of stereotypes, it sounds like stoicism is a positive trait. What are some other positive traits that you think a poker player needs to have to be a good one?
1: So discipline, I think we talked about that a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, keeping yourself grounded and knowing what's right, what's wrong. do Not not getting emotional and letting that interfere. Um, patience, you, you have to wait a lot there's a lot of waiting and folding and playing professional poker because you just can't make a lot of money with bad hands you have to you have to choose carefully and you know make sure that you're not going to be dominated a lot of the time with weaker holdings that other players are gonna always have you beat going into the flop okay okay let's see what are some other ones um i guess having balance too like you see a lot of burned out people that are there just every day and you can tell that they don't really have much of a life outside of the casino. Don't see a lot of sunlight. I need to get some more sunlight that's for sure. (laughs) But you know, having friends and like a support system, being able to exercise and grow your mind in a healthy way while you play the game.
0: Okay. I mean, all of what you're saying, you know, it's encouraging even, um, sounds like like good traits for being a good human. You right. Can, you know whatever your job was. I
1: mean, poker is a good analogy for life. You can.
0: Let's hear some of the analogies. Would you, like how does it apply?
1: Well, just with you can do everything right and get the shit out of the stick, and mm-hmm. everything comes crashing down. But mm-hmm. as all you can do is make the best of it. You know, be your best self, and most of the time, the outcome will be what you want it to be.
0: I think you kind of mentioned uh, a lot of. You're going to do a lot of folding. It's not going to be super fun. So maybe that's a metaphor for life. Like you're going to have to do a lot of waiting. Right. A lot, a lot of, of working. A lot of working. Sacrifice. A lot of grinding
1: it out and answering to people that you don't want to answer to.
0: Doing. Okay. I like that. Doing things you don't want to do. It's not always going to be fun. Yeah. Not always going to be fun. Dress for success.
1: As in the words of Zaza Patrulia, Nothing
0: easy. <laughs> Nothing easy. That's good. Okay. Okay. Let's see, what else, what else, what else would I be interested in knowing, Grant? You talked about getting sun. Have you been able to travel out of the country at all to play poker?
1: Specifically for poker, I don't think so. There's a big event coming up in the Bahamas sponsored by the World Series of Poker and GG Poker. But there's, there's some pretty big buy-ins on average there. It's going to be a stretch of my bankroll if I make that excursion.
0: How much are flights to the Bahamas right now?
1: Probably like 400, okay.
0: ish And then you got to get a hotel, right?
1: Right. I heard the hotels in the Bahamas are a dump, too. I heard Atlantis is like a nasty, wretched place that I don't know. really doesn't live up to the hype.
0: I'm pretty low class, so <laughs> I'll stay anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay anywhere once. Yeah,
1: I'm not picky either, as, as long, long as there's not, not cockroaches. Yeah, in there. there we go.
0: Yeah, you're reading me. You're reading me. So, uh, I mean, would you get Irie? Do you think you'll go to this tournament, or it doesn't sound very interesting?
1: Well, there's the alternative of the WPT World Championship in Las Vegas. That's much closer, a lot more accessible buy-in levels. And the Wynn, which is where they host it, the Wynn Encore Casino, they just do a great fucking job. There's, that's a lot of people's favorite place to play is the Wynn, Wynn and Encore Poker Room.
0: Do they let you stay there? Like, they got hotels, they camp you?
1: They have discounted hotel rooms for poker players, but I'll probably stay somewhere a little bit uh, cheaper and just in the middle of the strip so I have access to other casinos during okay. That time.
0: Are there any international tournaments that are maybe like goals or dreams that you want to go to?
1: Well, I really like Australia. Um, I went to Australia when I was young and growing up in middle school. I always told my parents that I wanted to go to college in Sydney and all these wild dreams. But they had a, a series called Auss- Aussie Millions. And I wanted to play that, but they just canceled it right after COVID. Mm. So a lot of people are hoping and speculating that they'll bring it back soon. But until then, there's nowhere specific in mind.
0: So you'll keep tabs on that. And then the World Series of Poker, their main event, where is that hosted?
1: The whole World Series of Poker is in Las Vegas as well. They also have a European edition.
0: Okay. Will you enter that this year? The main event? Yeah.
1: I will be gunning to for sure.
0: When is that? When is that event?
1: um july 3rd it usually starts okay so you got a whole lot of time to prepare yeah okay
0: okay the people will be pulling (laughs) i'm pulling for you um you know i think this is a good transition you mentioned your family at one point did you ever tell them about your decision to do this professionally and how did they react
1: well the idea of me being like a traditional going to college and satisfying my parents' dreams of a good corporate job kind of went out the window in 2015 when I dropped out of the University of Colorado, uh, basically giving up on my engineering I remember that, degree yeah. hopes. And my my parents weren't so happy about that, but you know they learned to live with, that's not what I wanted and that's not who I was. So that sort of prepared them for the... Majority of whatever surprises are going to (laughs) come in the future. But as long as I'm not asking them for money and, you know, leaning on them because of some gambling game where I'm supporting myself, then Mm -hmm. I think they're Mm -hmm. pretty much in support of most of what I do. Okay.
0: I mean, and I know that uh, I've staked you personally, and it sounds like your dad has a little bit for some of the tournaments. It can be fun to get a
1: sweat, you know? Like, even if someone's not a gambler, you can – get a little bit of that uh, thrill, the adrenaline, knowing mm-hmm. that your money's on the line and it might be multiplied by a lot.
0: That is a good thrill. That is a good thrill. Um, and I can understand why your parents might be a little afraid of that. I mean, I remember when you told me about it, I was like, especially at the time I was a, an addiction counselor. So we were thinking like, oh, is Grant going to just like end up, you know, on the streets because he lost <laughs> it all? In a ditch all? with a needle in his eye? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was skeptical, man. I'll be honest, but... You've proved me wrong in a great way. Um, if I could ask, over the lifetime of playing, are you, in the, are you in the red or are you in the green? I think it's called in the black. I okay, is it?
1: <laughs> I'm definitely in the black. I mean, I couldn't be doing it for this long without, you know, making some dough and holding on to it.
0: Okay. So then what salary are you gunned for? Like How, how much do you want to win in a year to support your lifestyle?
1: I don't, I don't think a yearly basis is really something I'm aiming for. I'm mainly looking for a six-figure tournament score in the near future. That is my main goal right now. Is that a big n- final table in some major event.
0: Next six months? Next year?
1: I mean, I don't control that, but yeah, hopefully in the next year, I would say.
0: Man, that's crazy to think about. So yeah, then I've it-
1: gotten close so many times, too. There's just been so many opportunities where you're just that far away and something comes crashing down you know there's a lot of flips in tournament poker where based on your short stack status you just have to put in the money with the hand you're given and it's about a 50 50 chance against the other person's hand and that's going to make or break the rest of your tournament if you lose you're either crippled or busted and the dream is dead for that day
0: so if you won if you won a six-figure prize how much time would you take off
1: I think I would take off a solid month and do some traveling. A
0: month? That is a short vacation, my friend.
1: Well, I mean, so I still have to get back on with my life at some have, point.
0: Yeah, you'd still have to hustle. But okay, that but makes sense. But six
1: figures, I mean, that's a nice little buffer. That's that's a nice
0: vacation. That buys some time. That, but that also, I think what people forget is like you're paying for everything with that.
1: Right, right. and you also have to keep your bankroll um, intact. You have to use your money to win money in poker
0: yeah you gotta you to you spend money to make money right right so you know outside of the the poker life, do you ever see yourself taking a step back switching careers, or do you see this as like a long term thing for you?
1: I don't think I'll be playing poker professionally forever I mean it's for one thing, it's very exhausting and it can be very stressful too you know like you're you're throwing money around it's constantly at risk sometimes. Mm-hmm you just get unlucky for so long that you think you'll never win again. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Get down on yourself.
1: Right. It's also, there's also like bad habits, like sleep. A lot of the good games are late at night or early, early in the morning and it's hard to stay consistent with a sleep schedule.
0: Mm-hmm. Does that make it hard for other things like dating?
1: I mean, it can wear on you a little bit. When you're losing money, you're emotional state of mind is not going to be at its peak. You know, mm, mm, it can mm. affect things to a certain degree, but I'm pretty good about maintaining consistent, uh, demeanor. That makes sense though. I mean, relationships. you know,
0: cause you know, doctors, uh, sometimes they got bad home life police, you know, like just cause you got a job doesn't mean you're going to be a great
1: family member. Some doctors smoke two packs a day,
0: dude. Some doctors drink diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> naughty naughty no judgments though i love coke zero shouts out to coke zero (laughs) one of the sponsors of the show (laughs) so then my question to you another question to you is if you did end up getting some kind of you know econ job accountant job just you know something more quote-unquote normal would you put this on a resume all the all this time you've been playing
1: so i actually read about this a little bit i got some feedback from online forums and uh they're pretty much saying it's a big no-no unless it's like a sales job. Like sales oh, okay. sales um managers, they really like that kind of a uh, story.
0: Do you know the reason what like what what they
1: like about that? Probably because you're pretty much selling your hand. Mm. I mean, there are there are a lot of positive benefits for Developing yourself and playing poker, you know, you, there are a lot of applicable skills where
0: money management,
1: money management, patience, Time management, discipline, all the things that we listed before. It's just a matter of the attachment to gambling and, you mm. know, not not everyone understands there's a lot of weird looks and well, what would judgment.
0: You, what would you say to people like that who uh, who judge you for me gambling, you know, arguably maybe if they were a uh, devout person, maybe calling you a sinner. Like, how do you, how do you navigate meeting people
1: like that? I think, I think some people it's not even worth trying to explain sure, to. sure. But others, I would just explain that, you know, look at the top leaderboard. These, these <laughs> players who have worked the hardest and, you know, devoted their entire lives to the game. They've made the most money and they are, they've made tens of million dollars playing poker tournaments. And that's not a coincidence. They're getting to these final tables often and naturally because they worked for it and they're trying harder than other people.
0: So then um, I'm sure that colors your perspective on what do you think about the politics of gambling? You know, because it's not legal like you said, it's not legal in every state. What do you think California at the least, if anything, we should do about the laws around gambling?
1: Well, that's a tricky subject. I mean... In essence, people should be able to spend money however they want. However, if it gets to the point where their lives are being affected negatively, they should have access to resources that, you know, can help them and guide them in a better direction. Um, So I think just gambling should be legal, but awareness for keeping limits responsible and the option to bar yourself there you know a lot of online casinos and regular casinos they i think it's called 65ing or 50 something there's uh-huh. a there's a number that describes banning yourself from the casino so that uh-huh. you can never come again and okay. for a lot of gamblers that would be the best decision because they're not playing poker they're playing games where you can't win like blackjack mm-hmm. baccarat slots
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're
1: throwing their money away they're throwing their lives away
0: so uh, it sounds like you're saying kind of like legalization with education and resources, right? And
1: I think that applies to a lot of a lot of things. Stuff in life,
0: I agree. And I think it sounds it sounds like to me the the in person stuff is a lot less risky. You got people around you, you know. I'm sure pit bosses, whatever they're called, you know, telling you, hey, like. We're cutting you off, kind of thing, kicking you out.
1: No, the pit bosses don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) You don't care about the people that are close to you. Pit bosses, you realize that they're working in the casino's interest. They want you to spend more because then they get bigger bonuses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, man. If you want a professional opinion, do not ask your pit boss. (laughs) Well,
0: that just uh, throws my opinion out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, what what kind of advice would you give, Grant? Because, you know, I don't want you to give up your, your insider tips. We don't want you losing money. But what kind of advice would you play or what kind of advice would you give to people thinking about getting in your profession?
1: I think keeping your day job is important for the stable source of income until you're really ready and really committed to becoming a poker player because... It's not for everyone. The conditions can be draining and a little bit, um, I guess, deteriorating in terms of who you're around. You're around a lot of scummy people and you're spending a lot of hours in a dark dim lit casino you know, it's not Sitting the healthiest down, profession. Right? Okay. It, it's just a very acquired thing that you need to be prepared to endure if you're going to go down that path because it'll make you or break you. So it sounds
0: like be be ready because it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned some books. What are some some resources that you learned from that maybe you would recommend other people check out?
1: Well, I want to give a shout out to Doyle Brunson. Doyle Brunson died, uh, at, I believe, at the beginning of this year. Uh, oh, he was a, a legend in poker. One of the great... Um, ambassadors for the game I grew up in like the Texas underground gambling rings riding around Texas and navigating some seedy characters, you know, guns getting drawn and mm. the the most important thing was getting out with your money alive. Uh-huh. And he's done a lot for the game. He, he's an icon for sure. His book was called super system. A lot of people hate Doyle Brunson because this book taught all the bad players how to play how better. To be good. Okay, but um, some but some other good books would be Dan Harrington on Hold'em, volumes one and two, um, Matthew Janda's Applications of No Limit Hold'em, and then a more recent um, piece of literature is Modern Poker Theory by Michael Acevedo. Okay, that's got a lot of very informationally dense tidbits that can, um. I guess shorten the, the time period you need to get everything you need to play poker soundly. Okay.
0: Okay. Any, any like YouTube channels, any podcasts you recommend, any visual thing for the visual learners?
1: I'm a big fan of Doug Polk's YouTube channel. Doug Polk is a, Doug Polk one of the best no limit heads up players. Heads up just means one-on-one poker and okay. he has a lot of very funny, very entertaining content with, that goes over hands and a lot of it focuses on the drama of the poker community, which is not so um, wholesome, but <laughs> it's, it's still very entertaining. There's there's a vlogger named Greg goes all in, and he's more just fun, like shorts and skits, acting songs about what happens in poker, and he makes it lighthearted and funny. It's okay. not it's not so much informational, but I think Greg goes all in is a great channel to, okay, to dip your toes into poker content. Okay,
0: all right. Well, that's pretty much all my focus questions. I have some bonus content here that I just thought might be interesting to ask you. Uh fire away. So like what's your go to pregame song before you're gonna go play? What are you getting pumped up to?
1: Go to pre I don't really have a pregame song. I don't I don't listen to music very much. I I started I tried to listen to music when I first started playing bigger tournaments. Um but you you miss a lot of the audible information that you get like Players who have headphones on, they they miss a lot of like cues for when, who's betting how much when it's announced verbally, and then you can't hear other players talking about you know what they do for a living and if they're recreational where they're from.
0: That makes sense. But but uh, but I guess but beforehand, like riding up, riding up to the casino, you got a genre. What do you are you just keying into the sound of silence?
1: I like some Charles the first. Charles the first gets me pretty pumped up. Sweet. Um drum and bass music, anything pendulum, Net Sky. Calming things. Yeah. Calming things. All right.
0: Alright, if you can only have one meal to eat while you were playing for the rest of your life, what
1: would it be? Quinoa salad with salmon.
0: Oh, that sounds healthy. That sounds healthy. Lots
1: of fiber, lots of good shit in there.
0: Alright, are you dogger a cat guy? Cat. That was quick.
1: No hesitation.
0: No hesitation. You bringing your cat to the table with you? Is that allowed? <laughs> no, I'm not
1: a fucking freak. <laughs> is that allowed, dude? Is that, that allowed? There's like a. There's a lot of people who bring service dogs in, and it's just so sad. Hey, like, come on, dude, don't laugh at them. I'm not laughing at them. I'm I'm sympathizing with the dog. The dog is just <laughs> sitting on a casino floor with its head in its paws. Like oh, my man. fucking owner brings me here every day, That's and I just really sit here and wait for him to lose his. Fucking ass, and then I get no dog food <laughs> yeah. I got a bunch of random weirdos <laughs> touching me when I'm, all right I don't know don't bring don't bring your dog to the casino. your dog wants to do other things
0: unless you need a service animal we're uh we're inclusive here sure uh i have I have another one for you. If you could get sponsored by one brand, what would it be?
1: represent clothing
0: represent clothing all right. do I you remember
1: see. when we walked by their booth at lightning and a bottle? oh man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I never met a man Who could both speak English And not speak English At the same
1: time <laughs> He was speaking some truth Somewhere in there It just wasn't wasn't very easy To decipher
0: Dude he saw some things He He probably saw God A few times uh, Whatever
1: he sees He makes some sick designs the, Yeah I cool. fuck with their clothing Represent clothing with, with a Z Represent um, with a Z
0: Alright last one Go to liquor If you're gonna Enjoy a nice win Cause I know you like To play sober
1: Ooh, so uh, that's, look. that's a tough one between, um, Moscow mule and, uh, Irish coffee with Bailey's. Oh man. If I'm, after if, my heart. if I'm sleepy, I'll take the Irish coffee. If, if I'm just chilling and I'm, I don't need much, the Moscow mule.
0: But not during play, right? This is after. Or you drink during play.
1: I almost never drink during play. Only if it's like, if, if I'm Enjoy playing for sports. fun, if I'm on vacation. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, Grant. You know, I think this has been really a great time, an illuminating experience. Totally agree. Maybe we could uh get back together just to just to jive and talk shit and talk about nothing.
1: Yeah, I would love to hear about the Vietnam trip too.
0: Yes. Tons of gambling. I didn't gamble, but there's a lot the Vietnamese love to gamble.
1: Ricky Turnwall was telling me or was it Ricky or someone was telling me that when Willie plays at their home game, he's like the most action player by far. Uh, who's who? Will?
0: Oh, what about Will?
1: That he's like he just loves to. to oh, he loves. When he uh,
0: he probably. I could see that. I could see him getting loose. He's a very active player. He's an active player. I learned his Vietnamese name is Lam. Lam. L A M. Lots of Lam's at Casino Matrix. Really big
1: Vietnamese population and Lam Win and San Jose Poker.
0: Cool. That's very cool. Big town. Big Vietnamese town. I learned. Right. I
1: think. I think. Vietnam or Little Saigon in San Jose is the second biggest population of vietnamese people outside in the entire of vietnam, world, outside of vietnam yeah. yeah
0: a lot of people knew where san jose was so that was actually pretty cool um but that has been episode one of spill the ill with grant Maruya.
1: thank you so much for potentially
0: hosting. a co-host even
1: shout out to brian Bernasconi for running the uh
0: running the stuff td shouts out to the uh, what is it the podcasts podcast check him out good stuff good information local community stuff hey yo and uh Any last words, Graham, before we sign off? Uh,
1: No gamble, no future.
0: No gamble, no future. I like that. No risk, no reward. Mm -hmm. Cool, and we're out. Peace. Nice. That's
1: fun.